<clears throat> it's good to see you today. Good to be with you. You'll note um, we've had a great time in a, a series all about dynamics of what families go through and how to look at things through a lens of scripture to be able to help um, husbands and wives, help moms and dads, help grandparents be able to go, how do we walk this out in a way because time is short, don't blink, it goes quick. We were just reminiscing as a family today, my grandson Hezekiah turns one this Tuesday. So already, we have gone around the sun once and uh, a big deal and we're so excited to get to celebrate him this week, but it does, it goes quick. And so we wanna be mindful. So we, we leave that in, from last week, great time at all of our campuses doing uh, series response services. And then now we kick into a brand new series on wisdom. And so if you have a Bible, if you'd make your way to Proverbs chapter one, Proverbs is kind of in the middle. It comes right after Psalms and just find your way there, have your notes ready. And then we'll, uh, we'll dive in in just a minute. Before we get into that, I do have a kind of a sequence of some things I wanna share with you. A couple things I have been telling you about and others will be new information. So just kind of bear with me. But first off, many of you received uh, an email from us a week ago Sunday that was an interview with Pastor Brian and myself. And uh, man, just what an incredible impact Brian, Danette, and the Haney kids have made in our church. Brian is accepting a senior pastor position at a church in Wrightwood, Hillside Church. And we have not had the opportunity to say that from this stage and let everyone know it was uh, kind of something that we'd shared via video the day that they they voted and announced that at that church. And then last weekend with all of our different hoopla going on, we just didn't have a chance to say that. But Brian's gonna be with us through the end of the month. He will be here uh, preaching next weekend on Father's Day weekend, a really great, very fitting Father's Day message. So that'll be really rich, but just know we'll take some opportunities to get to affirm and celebrate and thank them for just the incredible way that they have served High Desert Church. Brian and Danette grew up here. So this is a huge transition for them, but yet one that they really see God directing them towards. So we'll give you um, a chance next weekend to get to honor and celebrate him a little bit. The thing I have been telling you about over the last really six weeks has been just the decisions that we have made as a directional team, the, the need to cut spending out of our budget. And so finally, I'm ready to share with you. I'm gonna be very brief, but these are the ways we're gonna do that. And primarily the two kind of big areas financially, there's a lot of smaller things and some relate to part-time positions, just reducing hours. Some relate to some different projects that we're not gonna do the rest of this calendar year. But the two biggest categories come from our staff. All of our full-time staff have taken a reduction in their compensation for the rest of this calendar year from July to December, as well as the really difficult decision. And we had a, a really, I think, meaningful and difficult and significant town hall meeting a week ago tonight, last Saturday, that we feel like the unavoidable decision is that we need to close our feeling campus. And that comes with a lot of disappointment, sadness, a lot of just trying to find, is there any other way we can get to these numbers we need to get to and realize that no, we don't think we can. And so that is going to be effective also at the end of this month, the last Sunday of June will be the last Sunday service at our 
our campus. Another kind of difficult thing, even this week, our, the plan was to meet these last three or four Sundays of June, but there was a water main leak at Quail Middle School, and so making that even unable to happen this week. So it's just a, a difficult season all the way around. And so uh, we're looking forward to people from our Feeling Campus grafting in here at Victorville or at Hesperia or Apple Valley. If they really want to drive forever, they'll make it across the desert to Apple Valley. But that's our, our hope and prayer as we had to share difficult news. So take a look. These are the numbers that we've ultimately landed on that go in different um, areas. Our teams did a great job looking over their program lines, cutting that back by $63,000. Operations, <clears throat> that includes a lot of things with facilities and whatnot, 42,000. And then staffing altogether, 226,000. So that all added together brings us to 332,000. The goal was 350. I had told you <clears throat> to leave a gap for our giving to go up to be able to match that at $18,000 doesn't seem like a, a huge challenge. So I would just put that out to you, but this is us not wanting to take a lot of time doing family business, but us just wanting to say we're committed to live by stewardship principles found in scripture. And we're going to keep making decisions according to that. And when times are great and there's great resources to use, we're going to advance. And when times are not, we're going to pull back. And that's just kind of how we roll. And we just wanted you to be aware. And I'm really proud of our teams for taking that really that exercise so seriously to get us to the point where we could do that. Okay, and you'll, you'll probably, in different ministries you're involved in, that'll filter out in different ways over the next few months, and you'll find out that's what that cut means and where that, that came from. <clears throat> I put my notes together uh, earlier this week and had um, just no expectation, believe it or not, of even something more difficult to share with you, and that is just one of our good friends and former pastors, David Beersley, passed away on Friday. Uh, David had been struggling with organ failure uh, for literally a few years, and things had just gotten worse and worse. And he only came home on hospice earlier that same week. On, I think it was on Monday. So he was just home a short time. Doctors had said there was nothing else that they could do. And David had um, some neat opportunities with Lauren uh, with his daughter Jillian and her husband Corey and George Paul, their son, came home as well. So would you just be remembering, David, by the way, just one of the front runners of all things shepherding and care ministries at High Desert Church. He and Dan Barber were just this amazing one-two punch of, of care, of love, and just being at people's hospital beds and being uh, one of our, our early support groups, many of them were led by David, including one that was all about living courageously with people who had terminal diseases. So, I mean, just an amazing uh, man of God, amazing minister to our church family, and we are deeply saddened by that. Be praying. David, you'll recognize the last name is, among other siblings, related to our own pastor, George, is his brother, and then many of you know George and Lona Beardsley, David's parents. So just be praying for that extended family this week. And I just want to say this. Um, even prior to knowing about David's passing, our staff, when we had weighed out all the different information, we just felt like it was really appropriate to step away. And a week ago Wednesday, just had a, we have a staff chapel we do once a month. And the, the overarching 
um, posture was really just one of lament. And lament is something we don't do well in the Big C Church, including High Desert Church. And it's so obvious in the book of Psalms and the book of Lamentations is all about Jeremiah walking through the city of Jerusalem that has been completely destroyed and lamenting that this is what God's righteous judgment comes to when a group of people don't respond. Other times lament doesn't come from someone doing something wrong and sinful. It's a reality of just things that happen in a broken world that are deeply hurtful to us. You heard Landon tonight say that Jesus is well acquainted with our suffering as the son of suffering who moved in and lived out ultimately to give his own life on a cross. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to lament. And so I just wanna pause in our service and I just wanna bring these things to the Lord and just give us even an opportunity to go. God, we are deeply disappointed. We hurt for those who hurt, but praise God that you promised to be near the brokenhearted. Let me pray. Father, we come before you in a, a season that we have just been counting more losses than wins. We think of our beloved Pastor Tim passing away the end of February and David now just two and a half months later. We think of the challenges that we're dealing with financially and campuses even closing. God, this is a tough time. And we don't wanna just put a veneer on it and just say it's all good and put on a smiley face. God, we hurt. And yet what we're so glad about is number one, you say you'll be close to us when we are brokenhearted. And so thank you for that promise that we can hold tightly to. And God also remind us in the course of our lives, in the course of 62 years of High Desert Church, there have been many valleys. But God, we are so grateful for the mountaintops, grateful for the hope that we have, not only in whatever is to come later, but God, the ultimate hope that we have in the great news and the person of Jesus Christ. God, though we are deeply saddened for families like the Wheeler family, the Beardsley family. God, we know Tim and David have never been better off. And so thank you for that confidence, even in the midst of this loss. Help us as a church family to recognize God in difficult times, point our gaze to you. Help us look up and help us look across to the others in our family to come alongside and love them well. Thank you even for permission in your word to lament that we, you draw us in in a season of disappointment and loss. And we're grateful that we can bring those to you. We love you and we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, that's a lot. That being said, we kick off a brand new series in the book of Proverbs. And I wanna tell you why I'm so excited about this series. I'm excited for it because Proverbs itself tells us that one of the chief pursuits, one of the main things that we ought to be running after, like a, a treasure that you seek out, like a beautiful woman that you pursue, like this idea of, of a hidden gem that you go after is wisdom. Go after wisdom, says the book of Proverbs. And so what we're going to do over the next couple of months in this summer series is we're gonna look at themes throughout the book of Proverbs and surface them to the top and learn 
from this, the wisest man prior to Jesus himself that walked the planet, Solomon. He is the author of most of this book and he's going to tell us these are the things that you would do well to walk according to and others to stay away from. I love even the the video and the branding that you're seeing on this series because often that's what we do with the book of Proverbs is we read these one-liners and think of them like fortune cookies. You know, oh, that's really powerful or oh, that's something to think about and don't really kind of understand. No, there's an active pursuit that I'm called to engage related to wisdom. Wisdom doesn't just happen to me. Wisdom is something that I go after and something that I pursue wholeheartedly. And for that, what I'm excited that this series is going to really focus that direction. And in that, you're going to see this is what God says. Not only are these not to be confused with these trite little phrases, but this is where the good life is when we follow the way of wisdom. So I'm so excited to get to dive in and kind of begin from the beginning, week one. As we do, let me say this. There is a book recommendation. I'm not gonna have one every week. I'm gonna have one for the whole series. It's this great book called Proverbs, 31 Daily Drips of Wisdom. The author is Aaron Levy, and Aaron is a campus pastor of Abundant Living Family Church. The main church is down in Rancho. His campus that he serves at is in Pomona. And um, Aaron is a great guy. He's deeply connected to some of our friends, Willie and Raquel um, Jones, and great people here at HDC. And what I love about this book, we actually did some video interview with Aaron this week. You'll see it on social media over the course of this series. And Aaron does a great job taking a very practical and very active approach to how we pursue wisdom. Do the math. What is the maximum number of days in any given month? Come on. What do you got? Eric's is 31. How many chapters in the book of Proverbs? 31. So what Aaron's going to do is he's going to encourage you side by side as you're reading through the Proverbs, take this day 11 key verb in that day is the word deliver. And then he's going to walk through, he's going to give you a devotional on the concept. He's going to give you some biblical insight. He's going to give you study questions. You can have a conversation with the people in your family. And then at the end, give you some great application. I'm excited. My wife and daughter Ellie are, we're planning on doing this together this summer. So I want to encourage you, the information's on the back of your notes, so if you might forget the title, you'll see it there. You can buy it on Amazon, and we'll, um, we'll keep reminding you of it throughout our series, but a great, great book that I'd encourage you, a companion, to read through the book of Proverbs with us this summer. All right, take a look in your notes. I want you to do this before we dive into the themes of Proverbs that we're gonna look at. Let's get some basic understanding of some of the things about this book before we dive into a teaching series. The first thing in your notes, the book is mostly authored by Solomon. He begins that in verse one, kind of plays that card. And, and though there are many contributors, multiple contributors at the very end of the book, he writes the, the, pretty much the, the big picture of it. Secondly, the book has generally three parts. Three parts. The first part is really cool that we're coming off of a family series because it's predominantly written from a father to a son. He's giving his son practical wisdom on how to respond to him and his mother's 
teaching and parenting, as well as just the things in life that are going to pull him away from his walk with the Lord. And that's usually pretty much chapters one through nine. Then we get chapters 10 through 29, and that's the part of Proverbs you generally associate with Proverbs. These one-liners that kind of go here and then go there and then go over, over here. That's kind of the, the majority of the book, chapters 10 to 29. And then finally, chapters 30 to 31, that's where the other multiple contributors pop in, and they write from a very personal concept of what wisdom has looked like in their own lives. Thirdly, it's critical to know how we are to understand, interpret, and apply wisdom literature wisdom literature as followers of Jesus. There are aspects within the Bible that are uniquely called wisdom literature. Books like Proverbs, books like Ecclesiastes, books like Lamentations. And so as we read these, these are really important to know they're a genre within the whole of scripture. What are we to do with them? How do we understand them? How do we interpret them? How do we apply? One of the tools and resources that we're going to have on um, just a specific uh, page that's dedicated to resources for this series is the Bible Project video that does an overview of the book of Proverbs. Let me just show you one minute of it on this topic. Take a look. Proverbs are by nature about probabilities. So you fear the Lord and you make wise, good choices, things will likely go well for you. And if you don't fear the Lord, you're foolish, your life will likely not go so well. Now, that is all often true, but not always. Which leads to the next point, that Proverbs are not promises. They're not formulas for success. So, some Proverbs, for example. The fear of the Lord prolongs your life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Or, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't turn from it. So yes, fearing God, being a moral person, will most likely lead to a better, longer life, and raising your kids in a stable, loving home does set them up well, but there are no guarantees. Lots of things can and often do go wrong in our world. And so lastly, Proverbs by nature focus on the general rule, but not the exceptions, which are many. And the wisdom books actually aren't ignorant of that. The exceptions are what the other wisdom books, Job and Ecclesiastes, are all about. And together, these acknowledge that life is too complex for simple formulas, which is why we need all of the wisdom books together to get the bigger picture. Great. I love that. For that whole video that gives the whole, whole overview, as well as even Aaron's book, if you forget where that's at, we are using this text number more and more, 64567. Just get out your cell phone and text Proverbs to that number, and then you'll get these resources back in your phone so you can easily and readily engage them and watch them. All right? So we're going to hit these eight big themes in the book of Proverbs, and we're gonna begin rightfully at the beginning. Number one in your notes, the fear of the Lord is of first importance to your pursuit of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is of first importance to your pursuit of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Later in chapter nine, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So we're gonna see these verses right out of the gates and it's gonna be clear, hey, before you do anything, don't miss this. 
the fear of the Lord. The book of Proverbs is only second to the book of Psalms that uses the phrase, the fear of the Lord, or the imperative verb, fear the Lord. And, and so we'll see, that's a big deal in this book. And I'll show you in a few minutes, you'll help me with some out loud reading and we'll see how many times that, that concept appears. So Solomon's gonna connect the dots and he's really gonna say this, if you wanna be wise, if you begin to approach it like a pursuit rather than it just happens to you, Solomon's gonna make that so clear, wisdom is actively pursued, it doesn't just happen. So in this active pursuit, begin with the right understanding of who God is and how we're called to approach him. That's where it all begins, who God is and how we're directed to approach him. So let's do this. I would hate for us to go any further talking about, quote, the fear of the Lord without defining it. So let's define the term. What do we mean? From one of my commentaries, I love the way this puts it. With the Lord as the object, yira, that's a Hebrew word, captures both aspects, watch, of shrinking back in fear and of drawing close in awe. It is not a trembling dread that paralyzes action, but neither is it polite reverence. I love that tension. The fear of the Lord ultimately expresses reverential submission to the Lord's will and thus characterizes a true worshiper. Now that last phrase, look at how this next commentary just goes right on the heels of that. Although the fear of the Lord includes worship, it does not end there. It radiates out of our adoration and devotion to our everyday conduct and watch these phrases that sees each moment as the Lord's time. Each relationship as the Lord's opportunity, each duty as the Lord's command, and each blessing as the Lord's gift. I love the way those two sync together. But for our purposes today, let's do this. Let's define this phrase, the fear of the Lord, this way in your notes. It is the shrinking back in fear and yet drawing close in awe in response to who God is. The shrinking back in fear and yet the drawing close in awe. And those two ideas seem like they're in tension. They seem like they can't both be true. But this is the beautiful thing when we start getting our head around what does it mean to rightly fear the Lord related to the scriptural call to do so. Proverbs and Psalms we'll see today are not alone in their understanding of this reality. So there is a tension, and sometimes we'll get it wrong. Sometimes we'll shrink too far back. Other times we might move too forward in awe. But the reality is we're, so, we're called to live those things in a beautiful tension. Here are some illustrations that came to my mind. Standing on the upper rim of the Grand Canyon. It provides this incredible sense of awe when you just take it in, but you also realize it is a long way down. So you're living in this beautiful tension in the moment. You wanna get as close as you can because you can see more, but the closer you get, the more you can see down. And you go, oh man, I gotta be careful. I only know of it, but I love the picture of Maverick's uh, huge surf contest, 30 foot waves in Northern California. There's even bigger ones around the world, but that's the one I'm familiar with. And it's not just looking at a picture of a guy surfing that wave, it's being on the board. And you can imagine as you're on that wave, looking up and seeing just the biggest wall of water, <coughs> excuse me, you've ever seen. 
and in the awe of that moment and equally saying, and it's probably gonna kill me. So this awe and fear juxtaposed. And the third example that I have for you seems incredibly odd, but I'm gonna show it to you anyways. What in the world is a military helicopter doing there? That's exactly what I wanted to know when I took foolishly, let me make this super clear, I'm so glad our youth workers at all of our campuses do not act like Todd did as a youth pastor, but I took students when I was in Lancaster out to Edwards Air Force Base, we'd missed the shuttle landing, so foolishly we thought, well let's walk across the dry lake bed and go look at the shuttle. The United States Air Force does not look well upon this. So we got out of our car and began walking across the dry lake bed. It didn't take more than five minutes. And all of a sudden I look up and there is this threatening military helicopter with big guns on the side and a guy sitting out the window just doing this. Like go back from where you came from. There was no hesitancy. 180, and we're, and I said, come on, come on, come on, come on. But I'm telling you, when you are walking and there is that thing, oof, 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 just sitting there above you with big guns that can take you out. I love helicopters. Part of me just wanted to go, oh, that's so cool. But the other part knew better and walk fast, right? So it's living in this tension of awe and appropriate fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is where we start. Don't turn there, but look up on the screen. Deuteronomy 10, 12 and 13. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. Moses talking to a generation of Israel. This is the generation that was going to believe God for God-sized things, and they were gonna go into the promised land. Deuteronomy is spoken in one huge epic sermon on the eastern shores of the Jordan River. And there Moses, and I love this book, Deuteronomy, probably my favorite Old Testament book, because what Moses does is he gives the why to all of the laws that he gives in Exodus and Leviticus. There was don't do this or do do this, but there was no real explanation. In Deuteronomy, the retelling of the law, Moses emphasizes and here's why. And it's in that context, chapter 10, walk in obedience to God, love him, serve him wholeheartedly, observe and keep his commands and decrees, but they all begin with the concept that we're looking at today. Fear the Lord your God. The most elemental response that God was looking for from this new generation of faithful Israel live in the tension of approaching me in awe but shrinking back in appropriate fear. I said earlier that the only book in the Bible that has more uses of the fear of the Lord or fear the Lord is the book of Psalms. Listen to a few of these references of how the Psalms capture this concept. Psalm 111, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. And it's powerful in late or earlier in Psalm 36, how a lack of a fear of the Lord 
Psalm 36, one, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. Here is his definitive concept of them. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is what marks them. This is what defines them. They don't appropriately fear God. Therefore, they are fools and not wise. And in one of the most unique subsets in the book of Psalms are the songs of ascent. When Israel would walk and they would do it in community of families or big groups, they'd walk up to the city of Jerusalem three times a year for these pilgrimage feasts and they'd walk up singing. And they would sing these songs and this is one of the songs, the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live as to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. So this song of great blessing to those who will live in the tension of shrinking back but drawing close, great blessing is on your life. And so these are some of the, the, the categories as we start trying to define what does the fear of the Lord look like in places other than the book of Proverbs. Now let's turn our attention to the book itself. In your notes, number two, the fear of the Lord isn't only the beginning of wisdom, but of a blessed life. The fear of the Lord isn't only the beginning of wisdom, but of a blessed life. We heard earlier in the Bible Project video that we cannot look at Proverbs equal to promises. I love the first one, there, there are probabilities. Generally speaking, when you will live like X, Y is coming both positively and negatively. As we dive into the series, you're gonna see a lot of Proverbs warns you to stay clear from, while other parts of Proverbs woos you to obedience and righteousness. So as we think about this, this is what I wanna do. I want you to help me with some active reading. It might be too quick in your own Bibles to keep moving forward, but I want you to look on the screen. I'm gonna give you a subset. I've kind of broken these down. This is every... Um, place in the book of Proverbs where this idea, either fear of the Lord or the fear of the Lord shows up. And I want you to read them aloud with me. Here's the first subset. It's where wisdom is found. Here's some of the different qualities that we'll see about what, what the fear of the Lord benefits or how it um, benefits and blesses our lives. The first is like we've seen already in the other verses. So I'm gonna read the, the reference. I want you to read the verse aloud with me. Proverbs 2, one through five, read it with me. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Let me read the next one, Proverbs 15, Read it with me. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord. And humility comes before honor. 
So fear of the Lord in the book of Proverbs, that's where wisdom's found. Second kind of bullet point, security and long life. Security and long life are connected to this idea of having a right shrinking back and drawing close. The first one, Proverbs 19.23, read it with me. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. The next, Proverbs 14.26, read it with me. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. Proverbs 10.27, read it with me. The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. That was the example they used in the video. Proverbs 14.27, read it with me. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Proverbs 22.4, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Third subset, uh, the fear of the Lord provides an aversion, an aversion to sin and evil. When we rightly fear who God is, it actually keeps us away from the things that we might want to be drawn to or be tempted toward. The first one, Proverbs 8.13, read it with me. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Proverbs 16.6, though love and faithfulness, I'm sorry, Todd can't read, through, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Look, through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Proverbs 23, 17, read it with me. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. And then Proverbs 24, 21 and 22. Fear the Lord and the king, my son, and do not join with rebellious officials, for those two will send sudden destruction on them, and who knows what calamities they can bring. So that's a powerful one. Fear the Lord, but also fear those he's put in charge that rightful authority. And then lastly, I don't have a last category for this because it's what we just call good proverbial wisdom. Proverbs 15, 16, read it aloud with me. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. That's so, so sound. So here's what we're talking about. You've just done it. You've read every proverb where, a verse in Proverbs, where the fear of the Lord or the imperative verb fear the Lord is found. And so within that, you're getting this kind of fully orbed view. This is what it means. This is how life is benefited when we will, rightly so, shrink back and yet draw near at the same time. And if that's true in this idea of what this book is sharing, let's see it one last time. I love this, rightly in the person of Jesus. Number three in your notes, the fear of the Lord was embraced by Jesus as he modeled it for his church. The fear of the Lord was embraced by Jesus as he modeled it for his church. We're gonna actually start in Isaiah 11, verse one. Isaiah 11, the entire chapter is all about the coming Messiah. It's from the Old Testament and it was all prophetic. This is who Messiah will be. Look at the description. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge, watch, and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. 
Messiah himself, and here's the wild thing, Messiah, Jesus, who would come later on, fully God, fully human. So this idea, like that's it brings up a great question. Why would Jesus, who is fully God, quote, fear the Lord? And the reality is he was completely equal to the Father and the Spirit at every moment. But watch this, like so many things that Jesus did, even the song we sang tonight, Jesus enters into suffering and is able as a high priest to show us, I understand, I have walked that, I've been there. In the same way, Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord because he was modeling that for us. Because this is how we should respond in your notes. That was the way of Jesus to embody and model this shrinking back and yet drawing close posture for us so that we would know what it would look like in our lives. So Jesus from the beginning was, I love this, didn't just have a a fear of the Lord, but delighted in such. Now, when you look at the church that Jesus established, And when you look at this idea, the book of Acts has what I call landscape passages. It has passages that would say, here's the stuff or here's the status of this fledgling church that's beginning in Jerusalem and radiating out. Acts 2.47, excuse me, says this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it's a big, broad scope of this is the status of the church. However, in Proverbs, or in Acts 8, verse 1, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So these are like big picture descriptors. This is true of the fledgling church. But look at this. As, as true as those are, there's another one of these just a chapter later in Acts 9.31. Look what it says. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. So the church has grown beyond the city of Jerusalem. It enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Watch. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. I will tell you, I have done a lot of reading over my ministry career of 30 years with what people will call in church growth world, like here's things either descriptive or prescriptive from the book of Acts that you would do well to consider as you are involved in leading a ministry or leading a church or whatever. Can I tell you, to my memory, and I'm gonna say first, I'm getting old, but to my memory, I cannot once remember reading about Acts 9.31 as one of those seminal passages of what church growth looks like or what happened and caused the church to grow. But look at the back end of that verse, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. You would think those two things don't fit. Living in the fear of the Lord, this tension of of awe and yet shrinking back, but then also that word encouraged, another word for it is comforted. Comforted by the Holy Spirit. And I would say those two things go beautifully together. God beckons us come, but come with a sense of, of great respect and in doing so, be comforted by the very Spirit of God that now lives in you as what one of his followers. And I just love the way that verse talks that through. High Desert Church would be wise to take that same posture. God, we wanna live very aware of the reality that you are large and in charge. 
We want to live very aware that we are called to shrink back, but to yet approach. But God, would your spirit living in us bring comfort, bring encouragement to the relationship with you, the relationship with one another, and the things that we're going through in our lives currently? It's a beautiful overview of what a church who really is thriving is holding all together at the same time. And finally, I want to finish this way. As we consider the mission that Jesus co-missioned us to, that of making disciples far and near, it's powerful to note that this healthy fear of the Lord is what motivated Paul and other apostles to share this great news of the gospel to those who were yet unconvinced. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Paul's not alone, whoever the we is in this concept. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Now here's something you have got to know as we read verse 11. You have to know what's going on in the first 10 10 verses of this chapter. And it's powerful. Paul, he does it twice, once in 1 Corinthians 3 and a second time in 2 Corinthians 5. Outside of it, we don't know much about what the Bible calls the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ. But we do know this. It's not a judgment for salvation. That's a whole different animal talked about late in the book of Revelations, the great white throne judgment. But the Bema Seat Judgment is a judgment of believers And it's all evaluative on what they did with Jesus once they put their faith in him. And it is an evaluation or a judgment to reward or a lack thereof. So here's what Paul is saying. I am motivated by this reality that my life is going to be evaluated. And by that, As a result, I try to persuade people who have not yet responded to the gospel. That's a huge motivator for me. And so when we hear that and we process that, we go, man, that's powerful. Look in your notes. What a great motivator that remains for us today in light of the evaluation that we will face. Paul wasn't alone in that. That's for all believers. And in light of the salvation that a lost and dying world needs, a lost and dying world that God has supernaturally, strategically placed in your 8 to 15, in your relational world. So the reality is, is that even the fear of God, having this right understanding is one of, it's not the only one, but one of the motivators that causes us to say, God, I don't wanna be complacent. God, I don't wanna be apathetic. I don't wanna just say, God, thank you, I'm going to heaven. You have a role, you have a job for me here in the meantime. And I wanna live that out, shrinking back, yet drawing forward. Would we begin there this week? Would we begin with a healthy fear of the Lord as we say, God, we want to be wise people? Let me pray. Father God, we come before you. Thank you so much for this book of Proverbs. It is often very difficult to know how to walk through it, know how to read it, know how to apply it. But thank you as we just started in this first day of this new series. Thank you that we get to start at the beginning. 
And Proverbs says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. This is where it starts. And so, Father, we want to hold that tight. We want to recognize that you have a rightful place in our life. Like we read, it doesn't cause us to be paralyzed, but it also isn't polite reverence. It is something more extreme to both ends. And so this week, would we be shrinking back appropriately when we understand who you are and yet drawn close to you in awe? You may be here today and you would say, Todd, man, I do have a fear of the Lord. It's really not of the Lord, it's of judgment. I know that I've never responded to his love for me. I've never admitted that I'm a sinner who needs a savior. I've never laid my life down and I'm living it my way. And I rightly have a fear, but it's of judgment. And there is no upside to that. Can I tell you today, what you fear, the Bible says appropriately so you should. But that fear can be eclipsed, that fear can be made whole when you would actually respond. Not by being religious and doing more, but respond by your basic need of the gospel. That's how it begins. And that's when a fear of judgment changes and goes away. Because now you are right with God and right with his people. It begins by A, admitting. Admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior. Recognizing, God, I have lived my own way, not yours. Be believing. Believing that Jesus came and offered himself on your behalf. He was this high priest who mediates a way of righteousness between you and the Father. Jesus did all that on a cross and rose from the empty tomb all for you. Or would you see, choose. Choose to not know information about God. Choose to live a life following him, pursuing him. Choose to put credibility in what he's done for you, not what you somehow can do for him. And it all begins by this recognition. There's no class to attend. There's no hoops to jump through. It begins you right in your chair, whether here in Powell or watching online. It begins with you saying, Jesus, I need what you've done for me. I'm so grateful for your love for me. I respond in giving you my life. Father, this week, would you help us live in this wonderful tension of the fear of the Lord and would it be the beginning of wisdom in our lives. We love you and we pray in the great name of Jesus, amen.